Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. What's up, friends? Today we're going to talk all about vitamin D. Um, I pulled Instagram for questions. You guys gave me a ton of them, so I'm going to pick through them question by question to make sure we get all of them answered. And quickly, I'm going to say that through the months of June and July, I might, this is a might, not totally sure, I might move to a bi-weekly podcast schedule. I just want to give myself the option to do that. So sometimes I have to make a public declaration for me to like feel okay about something, hold myself accountable. Um, because I will be working so intensely on the practitioner training and mentorship that I'm doing. I want to really give myself time to, you know, actually have a summer, first of all, and then to throw most of my efforts into that. I have a full client load. So time is obviously at quite a premium. I love the podcast. It's one of my favorite things, but I am getting more comfortable with realizing I cannot do all the things all the time. So I did this last, was it last year? Geez, it was when I was finishing up Your Hormone Revival, I took a little podcast break um, just to give myself some some breathing room. As you guys know, I've told you here before on the show, it takes a lot of time to produce a podcast. So it's not going anywhere, but I just might go down to a uh, abbreviated schedule for, for some of the summer months. Um, and maybe I won't, who knows, but at least you've been warned. So I won't feel guilty if I have to do that. Um, so vitamin D, uh, right now everyone's going gaga over vitamin D. You've most likely heard about vitamin D deficiency and potential COVID complications. Um, listen, there's a lot of armchair experts talking about a lot of different things in relation to this virus. Everybody fancies themselves an immunologist or a virologist these days air about it. Uh, but the truth is not a whole lot is is quite certain. Uh, we don't know things for sure. There's a lot of speculation going on. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We have to specul- speculate. You know, we have to really think about, okay, how do we handle this? How do we, how do we treat this? All that kind of stuff. Um, but just understand that when you might hear things as though they are set in stone, it's actually not really the case. But given the integral role that vitamin D plays in immune system functioning, it makes sense, right? Low vitamin D status is implicated in a lot of different things, MS, autoimmune diseases, type 1 diabetes, psoriasis, bone disease, depression, acne, obesity, heart disease, fibromyalgia, many types of cancer, like a lot, right? So it, it makes sense that, um, that 
we would have some immune dysregulation if our vitamin D status is low. And it's low for a lot of us. The estimation is that anywhere between 40 to over 50% of the population is deficient in vitamin D. So it's obviously something to pay attention to. I'm certainly not knocking that. Um, some of the reasons for vitamin D deficiency is our modern fear of the sun, uh, you know, just terrified to be out in the sun without any protection. And also our modern diet of processed foods, uh, magnesium deficiencies due to poor diet and depleted soils, uh, poor gut health. We're going to get into all of this on today's show, especially for those folks who are like, I've been supplementing with vitamin D and my levels aren't getting up, or do I really need to supplement with vitamin D or can I get enough through lifestyle? Well, we're going to tuck into that. I promise you that. Really why I wanted to do this episode is my concern is that this new quote unquote, new information is going to lead to the inappropriate use or the over supplementation of vitamin D. And that in and of itself can cause its own issues. And I think that that's really the way, the problem with the way that we think about health, we want to magic bullet it. We want the magic bullet. We want to take one piece of information and go all in, right? Just sink our teeth into that. Okay, take the vitamin D, right? Just like mainline vitamin D and we're all going to be safe in sound. I am beyond grateful to the frontline workers and the researchers who are trying to get as much information as they can about COVID. I'm grateful for the people who are trickling it down to the masses. But every single time we hear a new piece of information or data, we have to ask, A, how does this information apply to me? Does this apply to me? right? And B, does this change anything about what I should be doing? And as it stands right now, nothing that I've seen or heard has changed the basic recommendations for immune system support in viral prevention. We have to support the immune system. Like we have to do that. Um, we have to support our innate immune system. We have to do the things that allow it to thrive. I'm not, I'm not arguing that point at all. And I've talked about immune health on, I would say, at least 10 to 20 episodes of the podcast. I've talked about it all over my blog. If you want to do a deep dive, you absolutely can. Use the search bar on my website, erinholthealth.com, type in the word immune, and you'll get lots of good information. Um, I also recently, last week, wrapped it up um, in a very succinct way and posted about the base six on Instagram the other day. So you can go check that out. If you, if you don't want long form content, you just like things in little snippets, go check out the base six. We got to start there. Do those base six. I might even do a little podcast episode about that. Um, all right. So let's focus in on vitamin D. It's very important. It has many roles in the body. It actually kind of acts more like a hormone than a vitamin. We need it for calcium absorption. I think that's kind of where we where we focus vitamin D on, bone health. Um, but we also need it for the function of our immune system, our muscles, our heart, our lungs, and our brain. The hormonally active form of vitamin D is um, cholecalciferol, and it's 125-dihydroxyvitamin D3. Just a heads up, when we measure vitamin C in the blood, we're actually evaluating 
uh, vitamin C status by looking at the precursor to the active vitamin. So we're looking at blood levels of 25-hydroxy vitamin D3, which is uh, written out as 25-OHD. So you might see that on your uh, blood panels sometimes. And that's that test is the one that's typically used, and it's generally considered the most accurate marker to assess vitamin D status. And so how it goes is you make vitamin D from the sun, you can also absorb vitamin D from food and from supplements. Once it's in the body, vitamin D needs to be converted into its active form for us to use it. So vitamin D from the skin and vitamin D from the diet undergo two different steps. The first happens in the liver where it's converted to 25-hydroxy vitamin D3 um, because but that's not the active form. Uh, It's the storage form. And then it can circulate throughout the body or be stored in adipose tissue, fat tissue. And this is what we mean by by calling vitamin D a fat-soluble vitamin. It's not something that you just pee out in excess like B vitamins. Um, And so this is why over-consuming vitamin D as a supplement can be problematic because there's potential for it to hit toxic levels. Okay. Uh, We'll get to that in a little bit. In order for us to use vitamin D, it has to be converted into its biologically active form. And that conversion happens primarily in the kidneys. Now, the reason that I'm giving you all of this information that you might not care about is to drive home this little important nugget, which is to say that all of these reactions that I just discussed require magnesium. So magnesium deficiency, which is very common, can make a very big difference in vitamin D status. And if you're taking heavy-duty vitamin D supplementation, which some people do, and you're magnesium deficient on top of that, then that might be interrupting the other hundreds of reactions in the body that magnesium is necessary for. Because magnesium is like kingpin. I don't know. I always say things wrong. I don't even know what kingpin means. Sounds good though. It's a cofactor. It's important. It's a cofactor for up to 800 chemical reactions in the body. So we need magnesium for a lot of things. And that's sort of the thing that we fail to understand when we're talking about taking vitamins. What other nutrients are necessary for that vitamin to get where it needs to go and do its job? And that's why it's so helpful to get vitamins through food primarily, first and foremost. Um, and you know, with vitamin D, we're also getting it through the sun. So it's just a little bit of a, of a level up because it tends, when we eat it in the context, when we eat vitamins within the context of a whole foods diet, we're also getting the requisite cofactors to allow those vitamins to do their jobs without overdoing some stuff and underdoing other stuff. So one of the questions that I got on Instagram was, do you need to take, um, do you have to take vitamin D with magnesium in order for the supplements to actually work? Like, is that the solution to supplement with magnesium alongside vitamin D? And the answer is like, maybe, question mark, probably, question mark. Um, It is a necessary cofactor for all of those reactions to make vitamin D active. So it's certainly important. And it is hard to get plentiful plentiful magnesium in the diet because magnesium comes from the soils and our soils are extremely depleted. I know I've said that on the show before, but it it really bears repeating um, that we're not getting the deep nutrition from our food, even a really good diet that we once did because of agriculture and farming practices 
here. It's, it's just, it's really, really hard. We're not returning the nutrients to the soil. Um, we can get magnesium through foods, uh, like leafy greens, some raw nuts and seeds, legumes, dark cocoa. Uh, but again, it's ch- it's challenging to hit those needs. So supple- supplementing is not a bad idea. Magnesium is one that I supplement with every single day. And I do end up recommending it to a lot of clients just because it is so important and uh, we do so much with it. Um, so, so keep that in mind. Another question I got, what kind of foods can we eat to facilitate the vitamin D process? Now, as I said, there are two ways to naturally get vitamin D. One of them is through the diet. So getting vitamin D rich foods into your diet is a smart bet. So you're going to want to do that regardless. Uh, So some foods that contain small amounts of vitamin D. We don't get a tremendous amount of vitamin D in foods, but small amounts of vitamin D would be your fatty fish. So things like salmon, sardines, mackerel, tuna. I have, um, I'm running the carb compatibility project right now and we've gotten, (laughs) we're getting some ladies on the sardine train and it is so funny. I love turning people onto sardines. Um, it doesn't happen every CCP. It's like not part of the program. You don't have to eat sardines to do the CCP, but some people were really interested in it and they're going for it and I love it. It's hilarious. Um, raw full fat dairy, cod liver oil, egg yolks from pastured chickens, and beef liver are all sources of vitamin D. And they're really not foods that most of us eat regularly, which is why so much of our processed foods are supplemented with synthetic vitamin D is because we know that we're not really getting enough through the diet. Just to give you a heads up, there is something wacky going on with my microphone. So if you hear weird background noises, it's just me fidgeting with my microphone. I think I'm just going to have to hold it like Christina Aguiera circa 1999. All right. The next question, what kind of foods can we eat to facilitate the vitamin D process? Um, magnesium-rich foods for all of the reasons that we just talked about, right? So your leafy greens, your raw nuts and seeds, legumes, dark chocolate. Again, hard to get it enough of that through diet. And then potentially sulfur-rich foods. So there's this sulfate component when we get vitamin D from the sun. One of the things that I was taught is that taking vitamin D supplements can interrupt and almost use up the sulfation process in the body. Now, since being taught that, I actually haven't seen a lot of research around that. So I'm not going to bring that up too much here just because I have a lot of question marks around it. So I don't want to teach something that I'm not really super familiar with. Um, But potentially, we might want to be more aware of our sulfur status so we can essentially donate sulfur to the sulfation process, especially if we're supplementing with vitamin D. And regardless if if this is a valid concern or not, it's very important to have a lot of sulfur in the diet. So we want we want to do that anyway. Sulfur, um, you know, it's it's really really important for uh, detox pathways in the liver. Important to clear uh, estrogens and hormones out of the body. So something that we want. Now you'll get sulfur from um, grass fed whey is a good source. Eggs, egg yolks, and your cruciferous veggies. So things like broccoli sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, um, Brussels sprouts, your kales, cabbages, um, also onions, garlics, garlic, shallots, leeks, 
Um, I'm like closing my eyes to think of all of them. I'm like really concentrating hard to come up with all of them. Those are all sulfur rich veggies. So the more of those, the better. I kind of shoot for somewhere around three cups a day. So that's a, that's a good target. All right, the other way that we make vitamin D is through the sun, the sun's UVB rays. Our skin naturally produces vitamin D when it's exposed to a pinking dose of sunlight. The vitamin D that we produce on our own through the sun is the gold standard of this nutrient, right? That's what we want to primarily shoot for. Not so much supplementation, but from the sun. The sun gives us life. But of course... We got this question on Instagram because it's top of everybody's mind. How do we get safe sun exposure without sunscreen? Being afraid of the sun really isn't doing us any favors because despite greater sunscreen use and sun awareness, melanoma rates in Americans continue to rise. And it's the people who spend the least amount of time outside that have the highest risk of malignant melanoma, which is the most aggressive and life-threatening form of skin cancer. Humans need sunshine to thrive. Like Our immune system rides on it. Uh, it can Sunshine can increase the release of nitric oxide. It sets circadian rhythms, which activates the hypothalamus, which then sends signals to the pineal gland that regulate melatonin production. The hypothalamus, you know, dictates everything in our body, all of our hormones. Um, disruption of this circadian rhythm is associated with mood disorders, with cognition issues, with metabolic syndrome. Um, so, really important stuff. And um, the the cortisol awakening response, I don't want to get too much into the the weeds with this, but the cortisol awakening response, which essentially happens when we get like sunlight in our eyeballs to set that circadian rhythm, um, is really responsible for, um, for setting the I don't want to say setting the pace of the immune system, but there's a big link to the immune system there. And this is especially important for those of us with autoimmune disease. So like sunlight is everything to our bodies. But of course, too much of a good thing can be too much. And we know that overexposure to UV light can damage the skin. It can lead to photoaging. It can also lead to cancer. So we must consciously get an appropriate amount of sun. And this amount is different for everybody. There's no real like one prescription. And uh, again, the, one of the questions was, what's the appropriate amount of sunlight to make vitamin D without getting overexposure to the sun? How much time in the sun gets us what we need? What we need to do is look for the pink. Um, UVB rays are sometimes considered burning rays. It's like your own built-in sun protection. Your skin will start to turn slightly pink when you've been exposed to enough. Now, ideally, you want to get out of the sun right before or right as your skin is turning that faint hint of pink. And on average, without without sunblock and with arms and legs exposed, your skin will make anywhere between 10,000 to 15,000 units of vitamin D in one pinking sun exposure. There are published studies saying that and somewhere between 9 to 25 minutes per day of sun exposure is sufficient to maintain vitamin D levels. So for those of you guys who are looking for a, uh, a number amount, there you go. But really, we all have unique and individual thresholds. But the bad news about all of this, 
this sun exposure is that UVA rays do not provide the same warning that UVB rays do. And these rays penetrate deeper and can create oxidative damage uh, that's associated with malignant melanoma. So you have no way of knowing how much you've been exposed to, which is why it's really imperative to rely on that pinking mechanism and then get out of the sun or seek cover. While UVB rays are filtered through glass or windows, UVA rays are not. So people who spend the most time behind glass do have the highest risk of malignant melanoma. And essentially what we want to do is find a balance of getting enough sun exposure to produce vitamin D while not overexposing our skin and putting us at risk for skin cancer. Once we reach our threshold, then it's our responsibility. Remember, it's that conscious sun exposure. It's our responsibility to seek out um, some type of physical barrier to protect the skin from the sun. And that physical barrier can be one of three things. It can be shade, it can be clothing or hat, uh, or it can be a mineral-based sunscreen. The one that I use is Beauty Counter. It's my favorite. It's not the only safe one on the market. I've written pretty extensively about other options that are, you know, safe and good options. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, so I'm not going into detail there. Um, but if you want to shop that, you can go to beautycounter.com forward slash Erin Holt and you can shop with me through Beauty Counter. There's different ones. Um, there's a cream, like, you know, like typical lotion. There's a spray, which is really quite convenient. And then there's a little stick. I used, like to use that for my face and Hattie's face, especially when she was younger. I used that stick because it can be hard to get sunscreen on little kiddos. So the stick was clutch and the spray is even better. And it's not, ugh, I'm not going down the sunscreen rabbit hole. I've already done that before. Sunscreen is gnarly, my dudes. I am, I've probably said this before on the show, I am like not about it. If somebody's spraying some gnarly sunscreen around me, I'm like holding my mouth, holding my breath and running in the other direction. It's like secondhand smoke. I'm like, ah, I'm good. I'm good with that. So make sure you get some good, good sunscreen. Even if it's not beauty counter, get a safer brand. Um, okay. Let's talk about supplementation. This is where the bulk of questions came in. So I've kind of uh, combined a few different questions. Um, but this is, this is it kind of drives home my point in saying like when we're talking about vitamin D and how important vitamin D is, everybody's like, okay, so how do I supplement? How much should I take? Where should I get it? What brand should I use? Like all the questions about supplementation. We have to, we can't just dive right to supplementation, you guys. We have to start with food, lifestyle, like how does our body actually make vitamin D rather than just reaching first and foremost for some type of exogenous source of vitamin D. And then from there, we can tinker around with supplementation and talk about that. Um, so one of the questions was, my son takes drops because his levels were super low. Should we all take supplements? If you're all super low, then yeah, probably. Uh, but again, it comes back to eat vitamin D rich food, expose yourself to the sun, and then get tested. If you're still low, then supplement. I am never going to tell somebody to supplement with vitamin D unless I've seen their vitamin D levels. This is not just like a, a benign thing to do. Like this is, this is a hormone, essentially a hormone that you're putting in your body. So you want to make sure that you're low before you start supplementing with it. It's, it's, you know, 
it's that's it that's an important thing and i'm basically going to answer every single question the same it depends like what's your levels what's your starting point um so the next question was i supplement vitamin d in the winter but should i supplement in the summer too i live in minnesota i take vitamin d year round is it necessary um when i know i'm going to get summer light and that is a ma- for th- those are two questions and that's a maybe um First, we want to follow all the recommendations for sun exposure that I just laid out and then get tested. Are you still low? If you're still low, then consider supplementation. Um, And then a similar question, are vitamin D sources in the winter the same as the summer? And it it really depends on where you are. People who live in northern regions are more susceptible to deficiency. So those who live above the latitude line connecting Richmond, Virginia to Portland, Oregon, only get enough radiation from the sun for vitamin D production part of the year. So no, it is not the same for us. So I'm in uh, New Hampshire. I'm in uh, the Northeast. Um, So I'm not going to be able to get enough vitamin D production from the sun in the winter months. So this is really important to have some seasonal focus on vitamin D rich foods, um, consider a vitamin D light box or vitamin D supplementation. And I do supplement with vitamin D during the winter, but it's after I get tested. So the last time I got tested, my vitamin D was 26. That's low. So I am currently supplementing with vitamin D. Um, The next question is, how do you know if you're deficient? What are the signs and symptoms of deficiency in absence of lab testing? The only way to know is to test your levels. Now, the clinically apparent manifestations of vitamin D deficiency. We're talking about rickets in children or bone pain in adults. Those are very uncommon in most developed countries. So chances are we're not going to see that. Um, there are there, but there's there's a lot of subclinical vitamin D deficiency, but it's it's asymptomatic, right? So it's not going to express as symptoms, but it still plays a notable role in contributing to several of the leading causes of death, including cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes, right? So this is why it's so important to get tested because your body's not going to communicate to you that you have low vitamin D. Like you're going to have to actually get that tested to know what your supplementation should be. Um, the next question, I used to be very low and I was put on a high dose. Should I be retested to be reevaluated? Yes. Some people are put on super high doses. It's a prescription from their doctor, like maybe 50,000 I use or 60,000 I use. That is not, unless, you know, obviously I'm not giving you medical advice here or going against what your doctor says. That is usually not a long-term thing. You go, you know, you take you take a high dose of vitamin D, but then you should be retested. Check your levels after three to four months to see if you've achieved or maintained adequate levels of vitamin D. If you haven't, then adjust your diet, adjust your lifestyle, or adjust your supplements accordingly and check again in another three to four months. If there's no improvement, then you're probably going to want to check your gut. I'll talk about why in a little bit. Um, next question. I've always been told to supplement, but what is the most helpful form or supplement to use? Now, when it comes to vitamin D3 and vitamin D2, D3 just seems to have more efficacy in studies. There's a lot more question marks around vitamin D2, um, ergo calciferol. So D3 is 
cholecalciferol. D2 is ergocalciferol. So I tend, I tell people to stay away from that one for the most part. Um, it is the vegan, you know, the vegan vitamin D2, which is why people take it. It's often added to uh, non-dairy milks. So I'm always looking for that in my, uh, when I'm buying non-dairy milks and I stay away from the D2. But there's also this, seems to be the synergistic effect with other fat-soluble vitamins. So I do tend to like products that combine vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K1, vitamin K2, and do in a little magnesium with that. I think that's a pretty healthy approach. Um, you know, the, like I was saying earlier, all these nutrients kind of work in synergy with one another. So for example, vitamin D levels increase calcium absorption. So that's one of the the, the reasons that we need vitamin D. Uh, but vitamin K2, vitamin K2 tells calcium where to go. It, it, it kind of directs the calcium so it's deposited to the right spots like the bones rather than the soft tissue. So they, they really do all work together. Um, I've certainly had people take vitamin D3 just solo. I've had them pair vitamin D3 with vitamin K2. Um, you know, I think it really just depends on what you've got going on. How low is your vitamin D? If you've done some micronutrient testing and vitamin D was the only thing that was low, you know, that you were low in, you know, maybe you could just go with the straight vitamin D. Um, are there any risks of long-term supplementations or potential for over-supplementation? Yes, there is. Um, usually, what it's it's the hypercalcemia which is too much calcium that is responsible for producing most of the symptoms of vitamin D toxicity because remember like i just said vitamin D levels increase calcium absorption in the intestines early symptoms of vitamin D toxicity um are like a lot of GI stuff. So lack of appetite, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, vomiting, but also it can look like bone pain or drowsiness. If you're getting continuous headaches, if you have irregular heartbeat, loss of appetite, uh, muscle and joint pain, these are symptoms that are likely to appear within a few days or a few weeks. Um, frequent urination, especially at night, excessive thirst, weakness, nervousness and itching, kidney stones, heart attack and stroke is if this is going on for a long period of time. So yeah, you can for sure overdo vitamin D. And again, the real reason that I wanted to do this podcast is to underscore that point. Like don't, just because you hear one thing on the news, don't go out and start mainlining vitamin D, right? Because you can certainly overshoot. You can definitely overdo it. And then the next question, recommended daily intake. Yo, this depends. It depends on your starting point. What are your vitamin D levels? Are you getting outside? Do you regularly eat vitamin D rich foods? All that jazz. It's not a one size fits all approach. And on top of that, this is where it gets a little tricky. There's not a whole lot of agreement in terms of acceptable ranges. So different people will say different things of like what we should shoot for, for vitamin D levels in the body. The general recommendations, um, I'll read those to you. This is like what you'd see on any lab lab form. And we're looking at 25 OHD uh, in nanograms per milliliter. Deficient is anything less than 20. Insufficient is 20 to 29. Sufficient is 30 or more. And then, so that's usually like the cutoff, like 
uh, at your physician's office. They're looking for it to be above 30. And then potentially harmful is anything more than 150. But now we're seeing that lower levels of even 90 to 100 could actually be problematic. So remember, we don't want to overshoot that too much. It's kind of like a a bell curve where we want to be right in the sweet spot, right in the middle. Too little is a problem, too much is a problem. It's like Goldilocks. Um, Somewhere between 45 to 55 seems to be a good acceptable range to shoot for in most people. Um, This is where hunter-gatherer populations in Africa tend to net out. And, you know, think about it, they spend most of their day in the sun. So they're getting this like right from source. And that's usually where they where they cap out. Um, so it kind of argues against the point of us wanting to drive that number up higher through supplementation. And you also have to consider, and this is just something that gets overlooked all the time, are you doing this for therapeutic purposes versus prevention? You know, what's the end goal here? What's the end game? What's the point? What are we what are we doing this for? Um, Dr. Datis Karazian, who I've I've referenced on the show before, he says for autoimmunity, he actually likes to see it higher, somewhere between 50 or 80. So I think it really depends on what your, you know, what your can of worms is. Um, are there the the next question is are there people who are especially prone to vitamin D deficiency? And the answer is yes, breastfed infants. Pediatricians are now recommending that breastfeeding moms give their babies vitamin D supplements. I have talked about on the show before why I did not do that with Hattie, even though I breastfed for over two years. Um, What it boils down to is the vitamin D content of breast milk is related to the mother's vitamin D status. So in other words, if mom is low in vitamin D, her milk will most likely be low and therefore baby won't get enough. So my my opinion and my, what I think it makes the most sense is that mom can get outside in the sun, obviously eat lots of vitamin D rich foods, which are very good postpartum foods anyways, and then potentially take a clean vitamin D supplement. And so that will allow the vitamin D to get into her milk and expose baby to the vitamin D without having to uh, give baby vitamin D. Um, Other people who are at risk for deficiency, I mean, it's obvious people who spend most of their time indoors and lack exposure to the sunlight. Um, So if you work inside, if you're covered up with clothes or shade whenever you go outside, um, if you cover up with sunscreen every single time you head outdoors, sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or more blocks 100% of vitamin D production in the skin. So if you're using sunscreen, you're not making vitamin D. Uh, People with darker skin produce greater amounts of uh, melanin or pigment in the skin, and that reduces the skin's ability to produce vitamin D from sunlight. So greater exposure to sunlight is important. Um, And then anybody with like real significant gut issues, um, First of all, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. It needs fat in order to be absorbed. Therefore, your appropriate, you know, getting getting vitamin D levels, your, your vitamin D status is really contingent upon getting adequate fat in your diet and also your gut's ability to absorb fat. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, for example, and you're not producing bile, which is necessary for fat... Um, 
um, for fat emulsification, that can hinder your vitamin D status. If you have any malabsorption syndrome, things like Crohn's disease, celiac disease, it can be harder for you to absorb um, absorb vitamin D through the gut. So getting getting good quality sunlight uh, is extra important because it essentially helps you to bypass digestion. So um, the next question is a really, really good one. It's basically like reasons for low vitamin D. Why are vitamin D levels low when if I'm living in my garden and I'm not covered in SPF? Basically, this person is saying like, I'm doing everything right and I still can't get vitamin D levels up. Um, so if you're if we're, if you're getting adequate sun exposure uh, and you're eating vitamin D rich foods and you're still not getting the levels up, let's talk about some some reasons that we would see low vitamin D. Um, well, one, you're not getting enough sun exposure. That could be it. You're not getting that pinking dose of sun exposure. Um, two, you're not consuming vitamin D rich foods. Three, you can't absorb the vitamin D in food or supplements because you have some type of gut inflammation or infections or dysbiosis or an autoimmune disease of the intestines that's flared. Um, Another one is your gallbladder was removed, right? So you can't release enough bile to emulsify fats. Um, I've lost count of where we are right now. You're magnesium deficient and you can't convert vitamin D. That could be another reason. Maybe supplementing with magnesium might be your bag. Um, And then finally, you have poor liver conversion from inactive to active form. We need the liver to be working top notch. So what you could do, rather than just continue to like ramp up your vitamin D, that might be an option. You might actually have to supplement with vitamin D or supplement with a higher dose. But if you're still not getting those levels up, support your liver function, you know, um, get ample magnesium, maybe supplement with magnesium. Make sure that you're optimizing fat digestion, whether that's using a supplement like ox bile or um, lipase enzymes where you're breaking down your fat. Uh, I talk a lot about this in episode 37, liver health and bile production. So you can travel back in time to episode 37 to get more specifics on um, on how how to ramp up that support. So that's what I have for you today. I was just really just banging through those questions. Um, I hope that cleared up some confusion about vitamin D for you guys. And I mean, ultimately, get out in the sun, be smart about it and try to eat some of those vitamin D-rich foods, and then get tested. And if you're still low, then consider supplementing with vitamin D. But you don't want to just go balls to the walls with vitamin D supplementation because too much of it can be too much. All right, you guys, I will check you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.